Good morning. Uh, we will, uh, we're going to continue our study this morning on the fruitful vineyard, filling the earth with godly children. And today we're going to look at little children in worship. Power's not on. Okay. I was getting, I was getting the semaphore signals back there. Good. All right. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the ending of this year and the coming of a new year. And as we look back and remember, we are thankful. As we look forward, we are hopeful because we know you and you know us. We pray this morning as we consider this topic of our children and worship that you would help us to think more deeply and to be diligent in the application of your instruction to us in all these things. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last time we met, we talked about family worship, and there's always a great deal more that can be said about these subjects, uh, certainly that subject. appreciated uh, Roy's letter that he sent out. I hope you saw that, and it's encouraging to see people taking these things to heart and thinking about how they can apply them in their situations, and I hope you're doing that as we go along. Uh, One of the real temptations for all of us, just like children who hear their parents uh, day in and day out instruct them and direct them and correct them and all that, is for that to become a bit of a drone, a bit of a background noise and to not really pay attention. And so we end up saying things over and over and over to our children because they forget or they're not listening or they're not focused. Same thing is true with us as adults. The, the point of church isn't so that we can check off something else on our list and say, you know, we, we've done something that we know we're supposed to. Uh, the point of being here is to be instructed uh, to go out of here with determination to make changes in our lives, to grow, uh, to mature. Every, every change isn't big and dramatic. Uh, in fact, most changes come incrementally. They come by making little adjustments. Uh, and remembering things that we knew, have known for a long time, but have forgotten or grown slack in. And so to be stirred up and refreshed and reminded of these things is important. The question this morning is, should children participate in the public worship of God? And I think you know the answer to that in terms of what the practice of our own congregation is, that little children are included in the worship. And so I know in that sense... Um, as they say, preaching to the choir. Um, Many, many churches, though, this is uh, not the case, or it's something that is being discussed and considered. But it's not enough that we do something. It's also critical that we know why we're doing it, and perhaps be reminded of why we're doing it. And so, in one sense, as we ask this question, should little children participate in the worship of God, in one sense, the Bible says that we're all little children. As Jesus indicated when he said to his disciples, little children, yet a little while, and, that I, and I, while I am with you, uh, John 13:33. therefore, in principle, it is clear that little children must worship God. But there's another sense, of course, in which we speak of little children, and that is, of course, in reference to infants and toddlers and young children. 
And, and so the question is, what, if any, obligation do they have to worship God? And more particularly, what, if any, place do they have in the corporate, public worship of God? And so as God's people, uh, I think it's important for us to consider is that there's a great theological implication. Do we look at children and say, there's no point in them being in worship, they can't understand, they don't know what's going on, they're a distraction, they're a nuisance. Uh, we want some time to ourselves, we want to be able to focus on the worship, and we don't want their getting in the way. Uh, so there's all kinds of assumptions going on there, and the question is, are those assumptions correct, and what, what, are, what is the outcome of any of those assumptions? As God's people, I think we should rejoice over hearing, and I put parenthetically, some infant noises in our midst. I'll say more about that later. We're not saying that we want to hear all infant noises all the time, uh, no matter what. But the, the presence of children in worship is a good thing. It's an indication of God's covenant blessings, of his, of his gift of life, uh, and the fact that the church has a future. I've been in churches, I remember going particularly in one uh, country Methodist church, and it was nothing but blue-haired ladies. The husbands, by and large, had passed away, and there were no children at all. And we had an occasion to have some of our children with those ladies, and they were just delighted because it was something they missed. But that was an indication of a church that was dying, and that church doesn't exist now. Um, as God adds to our numbers and advances his kingdom, he does so by way of generations. And the Bible is full of instruction about passing the faith from one generation to the next. And there's a, there are a multitude of ways. We're, we're talking about training our children, raising our children. Really, everything we do is about that. But worship is certainly critical to that as well. So this does not mean that without exception, children must always be present with their children in the congregation. We'll look at some of those exceptions, but it is an assertion, and we, I want to demonstrate this from Scripture, that in fact they should be here as the norm, as the regular thing that we do. So the youngest of children, first of all, are capable of learning great things. Sometimes the argument is children, little children, don't need to be in here because they can't understand what's going on. But little children are sponges when it comes to soaking in information. In Luke uh, 144, the Bible reports this statement from Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, uh, when she heard Mary, for lo, as soon as the voice of, of your situation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped uh, in my womb for joy. So here is John the Baptist uh, in the, in the uh, belly of Elizabeth, and as the pregnant Mary comes in, into her presence, the baby, John the Baptist, in the womb, leaps, not just leaps, but leaps for joy, we're told. We're given divine insight as to the motivation of John's leaping. Now that's a great mystery, of course. But then again, when it comes to little children, there are a lot of mysteries. We don't know exactly what's going on. We don't know how they learn and as adults, we don't remember how we learned the things we learned when we were that age. But we do know they're constantly taking in information and reacting to that information. Even when they seem 
to not be paying attention. The youngest of children often surprise us when we hear them recite the very thing we thought that had passed them by, sometimes to our delight and sometimes to our embarrassment. Uh, They repeat things and say things that we didn't know they were listening to. Uh, From the moment a child is born, and I would argue, and I think many people would, that perhaps even before that, parents begin to teach their children by speaking, by singing, and living out before them a Christian life. The fact that they cannot yet articulate what they're learning uh, and, and do so immediately is not an indication that we should stop teaching them. So articulation comes later. And it comes at different stages with different children, different personalities, and different skill sets. Um, But that doesn't mean the learning isn't taking place. We know that uh, that they will soon pick it up, and of course they will mimic what they have been taught. And that will begin to show up in, in a variety of ways. Even if the child doesn't understand all that they're doing... Uh, they're learning that these are the things that God's people do. This is what we do every Sunday. This is what we do during this hour every Sunday. And we're learning the outward things, and in time the meaning and understanding of those things uh, grows and develops. And so in time they'll understand the whys. They have to understand the whats first. Uh, There is nothing more important Uh, for a child to learn than the worship of God. That's why we were created, to worship God. To do so both privately and publicly. It's one of the chief obligations of all of God's creatures. And so as we teach our children to walk and to talk, uh, at the same time we should diligently teach them the scriptures and how they should worship God when we sit in our house, when we walk by the way, when we lie down and when we rise up, and when we go to church. And when we sit down in church, and when we rise up in church, and all the, and when we kneel in church, and all those things we do in church, there they're being taught those things as well. We have a clear biblical example of the importance of this very training that's found in 2 Timothy 3.15, where the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy saying, and from, and from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation, through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. And you've heard me say it many times, but I emphasize the word there for baby is brafos, which means a nursing baby. This is an infant. From the time you were an infant, he doesn't just say you've heard the scriptures, he says you have known the scriptures. There's a certain level of knowledge that's been present from the time you got here that you have been taught. In this case, he was taught by his mother and his grandmother. And so infant Timothy heard the word of God from the mouths of his faithful mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois from the very time he was born. And being grown up, though, of course, is no guarantee that that one will learn and comprehend the truth. So we know lots of adults who don't know. Uh, So it's not just, my point is, it's not about our age. You can learn at any age. You can also be ignorant at any age. Uh, Jesus is thankful that the truth is revealed even to little children, even to the immature. Luke 10, 21. 
In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have not hidden these things, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent, and have revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. And while we might, it might be a mystery to adults, nevertheless, God is clearly capable himself of communicating with and receiving praise from very, very young children. In fact, we read the prophecy in Psalm 8-2 uh, that this would, in fact, be the case. This prophecy is fulfilled in Matthew chapter two, uh, 21, uh, verses 15 through 16. Uh, and when the chief priest, uh, and also again, let's see, yeah. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that Jesus did, and the children crying in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were displeased and said unto him, uh, Do you hear what these say? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? And he quotes then from Psalm 8-2, Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise. Worship. While Christians should not be mystics, nevertheless, neither should we dismiss the fact that there are mysteries in the way of God and, and that the Spirit, like the wind, blows where it wishes, where he wishes. So that's one point. Children are learning. And so this idea that, well, they can't comprehend, so we're not going to bring them into the public worship, I think we can dismiss that. That's not true. Um, I'm reminded sometimes, because I know kids are active and moving in worship, and we may wonder, are they, how much are they getting? Uh, but I remember teaching a 7th grade class, and I've always said 7th grade boys are in a class of their own. Um, and uh, I had one little boy, and he was uh, very active, let's say. He could not stay in his seat. And I was teaching a Bible class at school, and he was constantly in and out. I gave him an assignment to memorize, I think, some of the kings of Israel, had it up on the board. And so they were supposed to take the last ten minutes of class and work on that quietly. And I looked up, and he was under his desk, and he was here and there. And I finally said, Christopher, do you know these? Yes, sir. I went up and raised the board, and I said, all right, come up here and write them on the board. I thought, I'm going to really nail it. And he went up and wrote them all on the board. <laughs> I don't know when he learned those. I don't know how he did that. He must have been under his desk studying. Uh, so kids will surprise you. Second, children are members of the covenant community. That's what their baptism tells us. They have been engrafted into the body of Christ. They're part of this family. And when the family gathers and the family assembles... They're to be part of the family. We should first be clear that all of God's covenant promises belong to you and your children. Covenant children are members, as I said, of the covenant community and are entitled to its benefits. Just as circumcision was an advantage for the Jews, much in every way, Romans 3, 2, so too those who received the initiatory covenant sign of baptism, this sign and seal, have all the covenant privileges. Paul especially points to the fact that their chief privilege is that they've been given the oracles of God, the word of God. 
And certainly in our public worship, the Word of God is central to what we're doing. God's Word is given to all the members of the covenant community. And um, in other words, God's Word is uh, given not just to the community, but therefore to all the constituent members, including the little children. When Moses assembled the congregation of the Lord, whereby God established his covenant people, uh, the congregation was all-inclusive. He didn't just get the men together. He didn't just get the heads of households together. Here's what we read in Deuteronomy 29, 10-15. All of you stand today before the Lord your God, your leaders and your tribes and your elders and your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones and your wives, also the stranger who is in your camp, from the one who cuts your wood to the one who draws your water, that you may enter into covenant with the Lord your God and into his oath, which the Lord your God makes with you today, that he may establish you today as a people for himself, and that he may be God to you just as he has spoken to you and just as he has sworn to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I make this covenant and this oath not with you alone. So you got the picture of this assembly, you got the, the men, the women, and the little ones. And everybody is there. And notice this summary. I make this covenant and an oath and oath not with you alone, but with him who stands here with us today, uh, but with him who stands with us uh, today before the Lord our God, as well as with him who is not here with us today. And he's going to, in other cases, talk about those who are not yet born. We were represented in this meeting. And so God's thinking in terms of a thousand generations, his covenant people, all of his people. So he wants everybody that's born to be here and then understand that he's even extending his work and his purpose out to those who aren't even here yet. That what he has to say in the establishment of his covenant is intended to carry on and carry forward. And so... Uh, this covenant continues in the New Covenant where the promise is reaffirmed on the day of Pentecost. So as the Jews have gathered there at Pentecost for the celebration of Passover and, uh, and Pentecost, uh, the question uh, comes to Peter who's preaching about what they should do. And he says to the men who have gathered there from all over the world, um, For the promise is unto you and to your children and all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So even, and that was a basic uh, recapitulation of the Abrahamic promise. God, Abraham, I'll be your God. I'll be the God of your children and your children's children. And ultimately to the whole world. That's the goal of the covenant. And so the covenant continues. Even in the New Testament epistles, they are often addressed to the constituent members of the covenant household, to husbands, to fathers, wives, mothers, children, and servants. Children were central to the work of the Old Covenant, and since the New Covenant is but an extension of the Old Covenant, they continue to be central to God's redemptive work among his covenant people. Again, they're not a footnote. They're not set aside as something separate. We're not waiting for them to become part of God's people. They are already God's people. At the heart of God's covenant with Abraham was the condition 
that God placed on Abraham that he command his household and his children after him to keep the way of the Lord and to do justice and righteousness so that God would bring to pass all that he had spoken to Abraham, all of his promises, which included his children and his children's children. So, children are part of the community. So should little children then be included in the public assembly? That's a more particular question and an important question. We find biblical precedent for both an affirmative and negative answers. Or perhaps, uh, perhaps better put, sometimes yes and sometimes no. Often when the Bible refers to the assembly of God's people or to the congregation, it does include the youngest of children. For example, in 2 Chronicles 20.13, And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. We might say their infants, their wives, and their children. In Joshua 8.35, There was not a word of all that Moses commanded, which Joshua read not before all the congregation of Israel with the women and the little ones and the strangers that were conversant among them. Likewise, in Joel 2, Joel 2, 15 and 16, we read, Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, and those that suck the breast, let the bridegroom go forth in his chamber, and the bride out of her closet. So, uh, we're, I mean, obviously when we're dealing with nursing babies, we're getting down to very particular instructions here about the congregation and who's included. So it's not, well, free enough. Um, no, it's everybody. And God's very particular in this delineation so that we don't miss that point. Soon after the trumpet call of this prophecy, Peter tells us that Joel was speaking of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Uh, Jesus himself thought it was appropriate for children to be brought into his presence. In Mark 10, 13-16, and they brought young children, and again the word here is for, for infants or babies, that he should touch them. And his disciples re- rebuked those who brought them. Uh, but, Je- but when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. And he said to them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, and put his hands upon them, and blessed them. So they were not a nuisance to Jesus. In fact, he was displeased when they tried to to keep them from being in his presence. So it seems to be a mistake to forbid even the youngest of children to participate in the worship of Christ. As a rule, covenant children should be present then in the congregation for worship. That's the, the rule. Now the question is, are there exceptions? So the children are part of the corporate body, therefore should be part of the corporate worship. This is the essence of who they are as covenant children. Nevertheless, in other words, we would say that. Uh, why, should they, why should they meet at the family table? They're family. They're part of the family. They might need some special attention. They might need a high chair. They might, as often is the case, need to be strapped into their chair. 
They may need a special bill. They may need certain special care given to them, but we don't leave them in another room or or shut them out. They're brought to the table. Are they going to make a mess? You bet. Okay. Are we going to have some discipline issues at the table with them until they learn how to sit in their chair? By the way, how long does that take? They like to sit in your chair on your bottom and eat a meal. The ships don't know the answer to that yet. They're still working on that. Um, there's a lot of wiggling, kicking your sister. Uh, I don't like that. Uh, learning to say thank you, holding hands without squeezing somebody's hand too hard. Or, there's a whole bunch going on there, right? But when we get started and we know that there's going to be this learning curve that has to take place, but we have a goal of having everybody be able to come and sit and commune and delight in, in one another. So, uh, again, they are, that's, it's part of who they are. And so uh, it, this is not the same as saying that this is always necessary that they be there, that little ones uh, be present at every kind of congregational meeting. Some meetings might not be appropriate for younger children. There might be a need for, just like there is in your family, where the father and mother go and have their own uh, conversation about something that does not include the children, or might include some of the children, but not all the children. Um, and likewise in the church, there are needs to communicate sometimes to different constituent groups that might not include them, might not be appropriate. Um, so... Um, In the Old Testament, we see that three times a year, only the males appeared before the Lord. In Nehemiah 8.2, we read, And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. Some meetings may be especially geared to men or pastors or some other special constituent group or occasion. They might be too long for small children, as in the case of a conference with multiple sessions, or as in the case cited above, it's simply beyond their comprehension. Uh, However, these meetings are primarily uh, for instruction, not worship. These are not worship gatherings. These are, you know, a business meeting or uh, those kinds of situations. So I'm not arguing that every single gathering of the congregation has to include the little children. So those are kind of three areas I wanted to make the case for why children should be in worship. Um, Now I want to talk about training children for worship. Because the next objection is what? It's a lot of trouble and it's disruptive. It's not just disruptive for the parent, it's disruptive for everybody. And uh, so Nathan's providing us an example right now. and so when, parent, when children are brought into the corporate worship service, it's essential that parents be conscious of the fact that it's not simply enough for them to be present, but that they must also be trained in the proper way to worship, just like you train them for everything else in life. Children should be taught to sit still and be quiet out of respect for their parents and others. Don't kick the seat in front of you. That reminds me, by the way, those... Kneelers are for kneeling. They're not footrests and perches. Um, 
because every time you put your foot or your children put their feet on the back of someone else's seat and you're not paying attention to that, you're disrupting someone else. So when we're part of a body, when we're part of something bigger, we always have to be mindful of how what we're doing or what our children are doing is impacting others. We have an obligation to love our neighbors, in other words. And that's uh, why we're going to train our children how to be good neighbors, how to love their neighbors, how to love God and worship, how to love our neighbors by making sure they can focus on worshiping God. And so they should learn also that, that the reason for this is the honor and worship of God. Parents likewise have an obligation, for, again, toward other worshipers and toward God himself to not allow their children to unduly distract from worship. It is the parent's responsibility to teach, discipline, and maintain control of their children in the worship service. The goal is to train the children to exercise self-control and to learn how to worship. Again, there's always a learning curve, and we'll say more about that as we go here. So first thing, parents, is you have to establish the rules of behavior for your children as well as helping them as they are able understand the reason they are in the worship service. So if your only goal here is to teach them to be quiet and not disturb anybody and to sit there, then you're falling short. That's not why they're in worship. They're not just there because we happen not to have a nursery and therefore you've got to teach them to sit still and be quiet. You do need to teach them to sit still and be quiet so that they can worship. That's the goal. And again, I realize that looks different. Uh, and I'm, and I'm going to say there's all kinds of things. Look, you've got a sleepy child, they fall asleep, that's fine. Okay? They're children. They're little children. Okay, so, but little by little, and if you're doing what you need to be doing at home, this is going to be a thousand times easier. than If you think you're going to come here on Sunday mornings and accomplish this and not do anything in between, you're kidding yourself. Uh, and you're going to really frustrate your children um, that they can't learn that way. So um, the goal is to train them again to exercise self-control and learn to worship. Parents must clearly establish the rules of behavior for their children as well as helping them understand. During this training process, children will inevitably cross the lines and need further teaching, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. I mentioned in the introduction that congregations should rejoice over hearing uh, infant noises in our midst, but one of the sounds they should rejoice over hearing are the sounds of discipline. Um, a child being quietly corrected by father or mother, or even the occasional sound of crying as they are being led out of the sanctuary for a more intense form of reproof. Uh, there is that occasional uh, you know, one-and-a-half to two-year-old who somewhere near the back row, uh, headed to the back door, begins to protest rather loudly. No! Uh, they know, they, that's because that's a child that has been taken out before and knows what's about to happen. And they're anticipating that. And... Uh, I hope, you know, all this again in the context of loving parents doing their job and us loving this child as well, that that kind of outcry 
brings a little smile to your face uh, because something good is going to come of that. Um, and that's what should be happening. So, um, parents with very young infants and those with children in the process of being trained, it might be helpful to sit near the exit and be prepared to quietly exit the sanctuary if their child begins to cry or otherwise become distracting to others. An occasional whimper or coo is normal and usually doesn't require much more than being picked up and rocked or patted on the back. However, if this fails to quiet the child, parents should, out of courtesy and respect for others in worship, take their child out, out of the assembly, uh, until they have been quieted. Toddlers pose a different challenge. So I'm talking about infants now. Uh, but toddlers obviously pose a different challenge in almost everything, right? They should have been trained at this point to understand the word no. Uh, that, uh, they need to know what that means, and therefore when you tell them that, they, they mean stop doing what you're doing, whatever it is. Um, so sitting still, looking forward, not rustling papers, not kicking the seat, not climbing you know, under the chairs, all those things. And again, just think, if you haven't done that at home, when you have family worship, if you let them crawl across the back of the couch and do backflips and stand on their head while you're doing family worship... Don't expect anything different in public worship. So in your five minutes at home every night or ten minutes or whatever time you're spending, you should have those same rules at your house. Sit still. No fidgeting. No turning around. Nope. Sit still. We're having worship. This is what we do when we worship. Why do we do that when we worship? Get them to tell you because it's respectful. We're respecting God and loving our neighbors. There's your catechism question. You can make up your own, your own. So you're teaching them the why and the how and the what, and you're enforcing it. Remember, your, your goal is doctrine and discipline. Teach them the what and then enforce it. Insist on it. And help them. You're loving them when you do that. So that when you bring them, they're a delight to you, a delight to others, a delight to God, and ultimately as they learn to worship, they delight as well. So, um, again, back to toddlers. Um, they should have been trained. Failure to do so should be, uh, failure to sit quietly should be treated as any other willful disobedience. That is, it's a sin, and the appropriate discipline should be enforced. We all understand that they're little children, but remember, our responsibility as parents is to bring them to maturity by teaching them what is expected and insisting that they do it. Uh, this can be done. It's been done many, many times. It can be done. It is hard. It takes persistence. It takes time. If a child is cranky because they've been sick, cutting teeth, or have some other legitimate reason for not feeling well, then perhaps they're not equipped to be present with the congregation that day. That happens. However, even tired or sick children should not be allowed to sin. We don't make excuses for disobedience being disrupted. Okay, again, that's why you as the parent need to assume that responsibility. That the child doesn't make that judgment, you do. Should should my child be here? If they should be here, then you also should expect them to do what they're supposed to do while they're here. If they're not capable of being here because they're sick, 
uh, or whatever, then you have to also be the grown-up and make that decision. Now, here are some practical suggestions for the parents of toddlers. Be sure you have made the rules of behavior clear to your child concerning what is expected of them during the worship service. The way you do that is daily at your house when you have worship, always point out the connection between what you're doing and what you're going to be doing on Sunday. Now, Sunday we're going to be doing this, and what are we going to do? We're going to sit still. We're going to be quiet. But today we're going to practice that in our own worship. Draw that connection. Help them understand. And then have that conversation as long as you need to on the way to church. As you're getting out of the car in the parking lot. What are we going to do today? Okay. Remember, we're going to go to the bathroom between Sunday school and worship. So you don't have to get up and leave. And parents, that's your responsibility to see to it. If your child's having to get up every Sunday and go to the bathroom, you're not doing your job. Everybody's got to get up and go to the bathroom sometimes. That happens. But if it's happening every week or happening regularly, you need to fix something. If you can't sit still for an hour or so, uh, then something needs to change. I realize there are again, exceptions from time to time, but obviously there's some grown-ups who were never taught that, because I see there are grown-ups who have to do that every single week sometimes. So uh, teach your children to not unnecessarily disrupt what we're doing. Um, remember, again, we all understand they're little children, but remember our responsibility uh, is to help them in all these things. Number two, teach them uh, what worship is for, using terms appropriate to their age. Have practice for public worship. Again, during your family worship, teach them to be quiet when the Bible is read, to listen to the preacher, to sing psalms and hymns. And if you have regular orderly worship in your home, you should not have very many problems in public worship on the Lord's Day because you will have already uh, taken care of that. Parents know, you should know what your children's needs are. And so however many children you have, every one of them have different needs. They're different ages, different personalities. Some kids need to burn off a little energy. They need to run and play. Uh, I have a dog like that. Hank has to, every now and then, he just gets uh, fidgety. And we have to go let him out in the front and let him just run for ten minutes. He's fine after that. Sometimes kids are that way. So sometimes you say, well, if my kid does that, they get all worked up and then they can't settle down. Well, your job is to know your kid and what works. So uh, you decide what's helpful and what's not helpful. Uh, And so you make that decision for them. Um, In either case, parents are responsible to help their children be prepared for worship and children have a duty to obey their parents and conduct themselves in a respectful manner. Take them to the restroom. Get a drink of water between the services, whatever they need. Don't just load up on donuts. Okay, that's fine, but you should be in charge of that too. How many do you want them to have? You really want them to have that tumbler-sized thing of donuts holes before they sit down for worship, and then expect them to sit still. Okay, that's your job. Don't just get busy in a conversation and let them go do whatever they want to do. That's what they want to do. You're in charge. 
Um, if your child breaks the rules during the worship service and a minor correction does not bring about conformity, then parents should take the child out, discipline them, and bring them back in. Simply taking them out of the worship service or taking them to the nursery without discipline will not work. They'll simply learn that their bad behavior enables them to manipulate their parents. So, sometimes a look is sufficient. You know the look. And they know the look. They should. And sometimes a tap, a thump, or my mother's pinch uh, sitting in church could get a hold of the thigh and twist. The whole time she was leaning over saying, you better not make a sound. (laughs) Bring tears to the eyes. But after that, after about two or three times of that, all she had to do was put her hand over there. Enough said. Be creative, but be gracious. Be godly, uh, but do it. That's your responsibility. Um, When parents consistently teach their children that they mean what they say and will consistently punish them for it if they don't obey, they will be more inclined to heed the whispered correction during the worship service. Parents should keep in mind that, quote, toddler worship is going to look different than adult worship. They might hold the hymn book upside down or say amen in the wrong place. Moreover, they, they will, this will vary from child to child, and they're not all going to learn in the same way at the same pace. But the important thing is that they are learning how to worship. So let me just conclude with this. Children should be a part of the corporate worship. They are ready to participate with the congregation as soon as parents assume the responsibility to teach them, train them, discipline, and discipline their children for worship. Certainly there are exceptions where it is either unwise or inappropriate for very young children to be present in the congregational, in a congregational meeting. In such cases, while parents are still responsible for the care of their children, perhaps a, a volunteer could help uh, with child care in the back uh, and temporarily meet those needs. When parents take seriously their responsibility to train their children to participate in the corporate worship of God, respecting the needs of others present, then their little ones will be a delight to everyone and especially to the Lord. Likewise, the patience, let me say this to the congregation, the patience, the prayers, and help given these parents and children by the rest of the congregation will facilitate the preparation of covenant children for the worship of God. This labor will be well worth the effort as another generation of children are equipped to faithfully serve and worship our glorious God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for worship, and we thank you for our children, and we thank you that you have included our children in that. Help us to be diligent and faithful, to train them and teach them and to be an example to them, to love them, to teach them to not just behave, but to delight in worship, to find joy in it to look forward to it. So, Father, bless us, bless every parent here who's laboring with these things, and help us to be faithful and uh, to raise up another generation of worshipers to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.